Welcome back to A Dragon Tamer's Fable. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please do. This is a full-length novel, and you're going to get lost if you don't start with the prologue. In Chapter 75, Lumen joined the Second Battle of Alor. In this episode, Chapter 76, the royal families deal with the aftermath of war. Alright, let's dive in. The guards Fauna sent after Lumen were turned around instantly upon their arrival in Imperior later that day. They were told nothing, except that the war was over. They were to bring back the Great Tamer's family immediately, run the horses into the ground if they had to. Vivin checked in on Odax and Lumen once Sebastian's body had been tended to. Both teens were passed out in their rooms. No amount of grief could have kept them awake after such a day. The following morning when Vivin woke, he was too sore to move. He knew that he needed to get up to meet Seb for their jog regardless, then nearly choked on his sorrow. He pressed his pillow to his face and felt Alice sidle against him. Her hot tears ran down his ribcage and dampened their bed. Vivin was absolutely distraught. In a day's time, he would have to confront Fauna. He would be the one to tell her that her husband died. That she was a widow. He had failed his duty to protect the Regent King. Vivin's body shook with grief, and Alice held him close. Lumen wouldn't come out of her room. Odax wandered around the marble citadel aimlessly. He couldn't stay still. He couldn't focus. Eventually, he went out into the chilly autumn air and disappeared with ale. Zeri tried to approach him when he returned, well after dark. He found Nivali sitting on the floor outside of Lumen's room with a book on her lap. She looked drained herself, paler than usual. She told him Lumen hadn't come out yet. Odax tapped on his sister's door and waited, but there was no response. Several people were wondering about funeral arrangements, including members of the Orin and Lord Oril. Their inquiries came in the form of, Arthur, have you seen Vivin? I wanted to ask him about... But Art hadn't seen him. Vivin had gone somewhere with Kaylee. Arthur had to hold off until the following morning, when he woke at the crack of dawn to be at Vivin's door. Though he had to wait for a couple of hours, Alice finally emerged with Vivin, neither looking like they had slept much. Hey Viv, I've been asked about funeral arrangements. Do you know anything? He kept it nonchalant. Vivin brushed past him and went in the opposite direction of the dining hall. Alice swallowed hard and asked roughly, Did you have to ask him? Do you have any idea what he's been going through? I do. I was there the first time. Arthur replied grimly. But Seb's body won't keep forever. Or Nocte's. Alice balled her fist. She wanted to punch him for saying something so... so... direct. He was being realistic. It was true, the funeral needed to happen, and soon. Just let him get over today, Art. The older man pressed his lips firmly together. Yes, he could have waited until after... after Fauna arrived.
Vivian unlocked both sets of doors to the master bedroom. A pair of windows had been kept ajar, leaving the large room cool. He shut them and lit a fire in the hearth. He wasn't certain when Fauna would arrive, but a cozy room would be a small comfort. He walked over to Seb's bedside table, and a lump formed in his throat. The young man's wedding band was there. The golden ring was scuffed and scratched from years of being on Seb's rough hand. Vivin knelt down and opened the top drawer. He took the book from the back corner. It was one of Seb's favorites, the one where he had gotten Nocte's name from. Vivin brushed his thumb over the title. He recalled the first time he had seen Sebastian reading it from across a campfire. He opened the well-loved book, and the pages fell to where the key was resting, just as Seb had said it would be. Vivin pocketed the key and returned the book to the drawer. He gazed at the weathered wedding band for a moment longer, then left the chambers. Lumen still hadn't left her room or eaten anything. Vivin asked where Odax was and was directed to the throne room. Odax was sitting on the marble steps below the ornate wooden chairs. Zayraid was with him. Odax sat with his head bowed and his hands on the back of his neck. Zayraid saw Vivin out of the corner of his eye and went over. He explained that the regent prince was going to stay there until his mother arrived. Vivin replied that he would do the same. He wasn't ready to enter Sebastian's study, let alone use the key in his pocket. Vivin roamed around the massive hall. The palace guards had remained there during the battle, and they stood at attention. Alice and Kirik found Vivin there over an hour later. Alice asked if Vivin had talked to Odax. The older man glanced over at the teen. He was in the same position, except Zayraid had his arm around him and his head resting on his friend's back. Vivin shook his head. Kirik had a fount of anxiety within him. Odax and Lumen were clearly not coping well. Vivin looked awful and hadn't said more than two words since they carried Seb's body back. And Alice was quietly shouldering it all. This was her family, and she was watching them suffer. There wasn't anything anyone could do. Kirk spoke up. Vivin, I know this is a hard time, but do you know anything about the funeral? Before he could finish his sentence, the giant front doors began to creak open. Odax nearly fell forward. He tried to jump up so quickly. Zerid steadied him, and they strode to the entrance. Vivin ignored Kirk's inquiry and did the same. As they stepped through the doors, the carriages were pulling up the cliffside. The horses were drenched in sweat, and their powerful bodies trembled from exertion. Zerid hung back with the others while Vivin stood next to Odax. The young man kept his hands in his pockets, and his gaze fixed to the ground. The head guard walked over to the lead carriage as it came to a halt. Fauna knew. If Seb wasn't there to greet her, he never would again. Vivin opened the door and took her hand as she stepped down from the carriage. The older man couldn't meet her eye. Instead, he took something from his pocket and pressed it into the palm of her hand. The others were out of the carriages when she looked down at the object. It was Seb's bracelet the one she had made him when they were children. The one he never took off. Vivin managed to whisper hoarsely, He said he's sorry. He couldn't keep his promise this time. Odex was dreading this moment. He was so apprehensive about it that he'd been sick to his stomach. 
He expected her to scream. He expected her to break down. He expected her to faint, even. Rather, she hastily wiped away a few tears and murmured, Thank you. Nothing was more painful to hear. She said it sincerely. As she walked away, Vivin began to lose his composure. He planted his hands on the side of the carriage and hung his head. Feeling his mother's arms around him had a similar effect on Odax. She held him so, so tight. She brushed away his tears as she cupped his face. Thank the greats you're alright, sweetheart. Are you okay? Are you hurt? Is your sister... Odax shook his head, unable to find words. His mother's eyes were watery, but she didn't allow any more of her tears to fall. She kept her gaze trained on his. He breathed shakily. I'm, um... I'm okay. It was a blatant lie as tears streamed down his face. Lou hasn't come out of her room. I'll go see her. Don't worry, sweetheart. Fauna patted his cheek reassuringly and strode past him. If she checked over her shoulder, she would have seen her family and friends in despair. Ryan and Laura were hugging Lillian, who was weeping. Theo and Sadie were both trying to hide their grief from their young daughters. Vivin was having a borderline panic attack. He walked around with his hands on the back of his neck, breathing hard. Alice and Kirik hurried to calm him. And Tanner stared at his brother in confusion. He looked to his left and to his right at the crying faces. Odak stiffly walked over and Tanner shook his head. He can't be. Odax clenched his jaw as he saw Tanner struggle with the reality. He is. Tanner shook his head more vigorously. No. No way. He's too strong. Nothing could ever- He is! Odax argued, bawling his fists. Tanner's eyes filled with tears as he paled. It can't be true. It's some kind of sick joke. It's not a joke. Odax snapped, trembling with grief. I was there when he died, Tan. He's dead, and he isn't coming back. A tear slipped down Tanner's cheek. I should have been there. I should have... I should have been like Lou. No. Odax mumbled as he pulled his brother into a hug. You were the only one who listened to Dad. You're the lucky one. Arthur leapt off of Gree and ran over to Vivin, who was seated on the ground and trying not to hyperventilate. He told Alice and Kirik to back up and knelt down in front of his best friend. Calm down, Viv. I'm here. He lifted Vivin's chin gently and hated to see his brown eyes filled with so much hurt. Kaylee's here too. Just focus on her. Kaylee touched down next to Gree and bounded over to her tamer. She nestled her finely feathered head on his lap and crouched down. Her presence calmed him down immensely. She got him to synchronize his breathing with hers. He rubbed one of her blush-colored feathers between his thumb and his forefinger and rested his brow on his other hand. Alice glanced over her shoulder. Theo was speaking with Ryan, and the three teen boys were with each other. Fauna was inside. She needed to check on her. She made sure that Arthur and Kirik would stay with Vivin, and hurried to find the queen.
Navali scrambled to her feet when she saw Fauna. She stared in awe at the composed widow. Not a single tear. Louis, um, she hasn't been out in a couple of days. I'd know. Fauna caressed Navali's cheek affectionately. Thank you, dear. Before she could knock on the bedroom door, it flew open. Lumens threw herself at her mother, hugging her so tight, Fauna could barely breathe. You're safe, Fauna whispered, more to herself than Lumen. He's gone, Mom, Lumen whispered. I should have listened. I didn't want to see. Shh. Fauna stroked Lumen's tangled golden hair. Let's sit down, pet. Alice peered around the corner of the doorway, checking inside the room. Fauna was sitting on the edge of Lumen's bed, with the teen's head on her lap. Fauna brushed Lumen's hair until it shone, while humming softly. The young woman had dark bags under her eyes as she laid placidly. I want him to hold me so bad. Fauna went quiet for a moment, then leaned over and kissed her daughter's shoulder. I'm going to have to do. Lumen sat up and embraced her mother. It didn't matter that she was nearly 15 years old. She sat on Fauna's lap and hugged her tight. Alice bit her lip and backed away. Fauna had her children at the dinner table that night. They barely touched their food and all excused themselves early, but they were there. Fauna and Zayraid kept the majority of the conversation going, talking about Imperior. The city had been untouched by the Nin. Everything could return to normal rather quickly once the citizens arrived. Fauna changed the subject and asked the elvish king about Princess Felicita. Word has been sent to her. However, by my estimate, it will take two weeks until we see her. Once travel has been factored in, via dragon. There was a flash of something in the queen's eyes that Lord Oro couldn't quite put his finger on. It was only visible for an instant. It was something rather like angst. Fauna ran into Vivin in the corridor afterward. He hadn't been at the meal. He nearly passed out from fatigue after his episode in the morning and slept through dinner. There you are. I was worried. Are you getting something to eat? She asked considerately. Vivin was flustered. She wasn't behaving the way anyone expected. And she was being so nice to him instead of... I will. Yes. He kept his hands in his pockets. They'd been trembling since Seb's death and hadn't stopped. He didn't want anyone to notice. I'm glad you're alright, Vivin. She touched his arm and he swallowed hard. I was wondering if you knew anything about Seb's will. It wasn't something we discussed, so I hope he has one. Vivin cleared his throat. <clears> he does. I'll get it for you. Thank you. There it was again, the words Vivin didn't want to hear. Vivin offered, Seb's being kept down below. I can go with you if you want to see him. No. Fauna cut him off firmly. Vivin felt awkward. Okay, I'll find Alice. She can take you. No, she repeated. No, thank you. She walked past the puzzled head guard. Chirp was laying on Sebastian's desk when Vivin opened the locked door. 
the window was open, letting in a cold draft. The pygmy dragon eyed Vivian weakly and growled when the human approached. Chirp bared his teeth when Vivian came within reach of the mahogany desk. The red ruby dragon settled down when the human promptly left. However, Vivian returned with Odax in tow. Chirp growled softly when Odax lifted him from the bureau. Shush, Chirp. You need to eat. You'll be too underweight to hibernate. Chirp was pacified by Odax. He knew the young man for almost as long as he'd known Sebastian. And he looked nearly the same. Vivin closed the door behind them and took a cautious seat at the bureau. It was almost sacrilegious to sit there. He lit a couple of candles. It took him five long minutes to muster the courage to open the bottom drawer. He lifted the will out and heard something drop back into the drawer. He reached down and fished it out. It was Sebastian's pocket watch. Vivin froze. It was one of Seb's most precious belongings. He was rarely seen without it, unless... Vivin sat up straight as he remembered Odax running around with it as a boy. Odax still stole it, on occasion. The head guard placed the golden pocket watch on the bureau and examined the thick, leather-bound dossier in front of him. Seb had it well organized. Vivin could see labeled tabs sticking out. He sighed heavily and opened the last will and testament of Sebastian Allor. He took his reading glasses from his pocket and donned them. The first page was addressed to him. Vivin, where to start? Firstly, this letter is meant for Vivin's eyes alone. If something has happened to him, please disregard and continue to section one, subsection A. Now, Vivin, I'm sorry you have to read this. It might seem strange to have this directed to you, but I updated it recently with the upcoming battle. It'll be easiest for you to divide up the will, and I've set instructions for that in section two. Vivin flipped ahead and glanced through the first two sections. There was a table of contents and a generic letter stating who was to receive which parts of the will. Vivin wasn't the least surprised by how thorough Sebastian had been. He had been invariably meticulous with his paperwork over the years. Of course, this wouldn't be any different. I'm sure you noticed the pocket watch in the drawer. I always hoped I'd be able to give it to Odie when he married Lily. Of course they'll be married, don't act shocked. But, like my father before me, it wasn't meant to be. I couldn't decide when you should give it to him. You could give it to him on his 18th, or on his wedding day. Or, you could give it to him now. It might help him through the next few months. I'll leave it to your discretion. I'd like for Lou to have my dagger, and the necklace Fawn gave me. I have a very fond memory of Lulu chewing on it while she was teething. I thought about giving one of my kids my bow, but since you were the one who got it for me, maybe you'd like it. If there's anything of mine that the kids want, they can have it. That includes Zay and Valley, of course. Make sure to talk to the kids and Fawn before anything gets thrown away. Vivin had to stop. It greatly upset him that Seb thought they would get rid of anything of his. If anything, his belongings appreciated in value, at least sentimentally. Vivin rubbed his brow and continued to read by candlelight. As for Tan, I haven't forgotten about him. I already spoke with Matthias about the subject. 
and Tan can apprentice under him. I know smithing was something that we were supposed to do together. He might not want to do it without me. But if he does, the door is wide open for him. Now, as for my wife, give her section 11, please. I wrote her something. I thought about writing to each of the kids, but I didn't want to upset them. Anyway, they know how much I loved them. Also for Fauna, see section 14. Vivin flipped ahead and found the tab. Blueprints and notes were there. The blueprints were for a house. This is Fauna's birthday gift. A surprise. I've been building this house for us in Deep Creek since the spring. There's five bedrooms, a master, one for each of the kids, and a spare, for you and Alice when you visit. Feel Fauna out, see what her plans are. If she wants to move back home immediately, give her the blueprints. I've set aside extra coin for the contractors to finish the construction quickly if needed. You'll also find their contact information and payment details, contract, etc. in that section. I didn't know how to bring this up, but I guess it's now or never. I haven't selected a headmaster for the Dragon Tamer Academy yet. I wanted to extend the offer to you and Art as a joint venture. You both have years of experience taming, and I can imagine you'll want to slow down sometime in the next few years. The offer is there, for Alice as well, though it doesn't seem like something she'd be interested in. And you can assume the position whenever you'd like. I've written an affidavit to make it seamless. Section 15 has the name of the two individuals I feel best suited for the position otherwise, including their contact information. You know them. They were on the council years ago. Choose your favorite. Oh, and I have something for you, and I'd rather you didn't share it with too many people for a few years. Take out the drawer the will was in, and lift out the false bottom. Vivin did as instructed, finding a finger-sized hole at the back of the drawer. He popped out the compartment and took the item inside. It was a heavy, leather-bound book that had seen somewhere. The title was etched in by a blade, and it simply read, Dragons. Vivin unfastened the strap securing it and carefully flipped through the pages. It was divided into sections as well, and contained quite a bit of writing, but every so often, there was a sketch. Some were dragons, eggs, and forest scenes. This is my masterwork, what I feel is my biggest accomplishment. I've started a book compiling absolutely everything I know about dragons. Yes, others have tried to do the same, but try is the key word. I'm sure you'll remember me leaving the palace in the middle of the night to talk to dragons. As a great tamer, I had the advantage of being able to speak to numerous dragons. In the past, the tamers who have written books have only been able to pull their knowledge from their own dragon or other tamers. What's compiled in this book is information directly from my beautiful beasts. I want this project passed on to the next great tamer, of course, but that's likely two centuries away. If you ever find someone who possesses a genuine connection with dragons, entrust the book to them. If they care about dragons as much as I did, they'll appreciate the value of the work being put into it. If people can start to understand dragons on a more intimate level, maybe they won't be as afraid of them anymore. Vivin brushed his thumb over the drawing of a feathered dragon. It was a diagram, 
labeling the unique attributes of the type of dragon. He didn't know Sebastian had an artistic side. The sketches were quite detailed, and like the rest of his work, neat and tidy. I apologize for how long this letter's gone on. Everything else you need to know about the division of my estate is on the ensuing pages. Fauna is welcome to look through it, of course. Just not this letter. Or the blueprints, please. I hope she's doing okay. I've never allowed myself to think about life without her, because it pulls me towards a dark place I'd rather not visit. If she's done the same, she might not take my passing well. Please keep an eye on her, Vivin. Not being able to return to her is one of my biggest regrets I'll take with me to the underworld. Thank you for everything you've done for me. For kicking my ass when it needed it. For teaching me everything from shaving to swinging a sword. Thank you for being the dad I thought I could manage without. You were proof that I couldn't. You've saved my life so many times. Oh, and in case I didn't tell you this in person, it wasn't your fault. My death wasn't your fault. Read that as many times as you need to. I was never meant to be here for long. Nothing could have saved me from that fate. But if I had kept my head out of my ass and listened to you, I probably wouldn't be in this position, would I? I want to thank you for one last thing, though I could fill an entire book with my gratitude for you. Every time something good happened in my life, I thought, thank the greats Vivin and Kaylee found me. It could have been anyone, but it was you two. I know I wouldn't be the person, or the tamer, I was without you there to guide me. Forever the pain in your ass, Seb. P.S. Tell Sable I'll take good care of her dad. That was the end of Vivin's letter. He reread the final sentence several times over. Tell Sable. Seb knew that Nocte was going with him. There was no doubt. He hadn't worded it. If Nocte dies too. Vivin gave his head a shake, struggling to process everything in the letter. Everything was so well organized and pre-planned. Seb must have been convinced that he was going to die. Vivin smashed his fist against the mahogany bureau. Why hadn't they talked about it? Seb must have been living with such anxiety. The head guard examined the broken, bloody skin on his knuckles. How many times had he told Seb that if he ever needed to talk to someone, he was there for him? Vivin was thoroughly upset. He read through the other sections of the will, pushing aside his disconcerting thoughts. Everything was taken care of by the late regent even his funeral arrangements. The sum of his estate was divided between Fauna, their children, and the Tamer Academy. It would have been sufficient overhead funds to keep it running for at least a few years. Vivin removed his letter, the blueprints for the new house, and a section labeled, For the Oran. The rest, he would give to Fauna. He stowed the Dragon Book back in its hiding place. He needed to think about things with a clear mind. It was past midnight, and he hadn't been sleeping well to begin with. Regardless of the time, Alice was waiting up for him. The fire in the hearth was low, but it gave off enough light to show the concern on her face. There you are, 
she sighed and met him at the door, giving him a hug. Vivian half-heartedly returned the sentiment. What's that? she asked, eyeing the papers in his hand. Parts of his will. Vivian went over to his nightstand and put them inside the drawer. Actually, there was something he wanted me to give you. Alice cocked her head. Vivian approached her slowly and put his arms around her. He held her tight. He wanted me to give you a hug and to say thank you for everything and that he loves you. Vivian faltered because Alice was crying again. Can you just blame me, please? She tried to push her partner away, but he held her hands fast to his chest. What are you talking about? Vivian murmured, bewildered. If I hadn't got hurt the day before, you would have been watching Seb instead of me. We could have saved him. Allie. Vivian tried to embrace her, but she pulled back. Stop. I know you're angry with me. You've barely said two words to me since he died, and that hug just now was the tightest you've held. She stopped her rambling and demanded, Get it over with and say you blame me. I don't blame you, Vivian argued, disgruntled. Alice was just as exhausted as he was. She was being irrational. You're overtired. Let's go to bed, Allie. Don't belittle this, Vivian. This is how I truly feel. I want to know how you feel. How I feel? Vivian echoed, and Alice nodded in affirmation. Vivian let her go and ran a hand through his silvery hair. I feel... angry. And cheated, somehow. I'm exhausted. And guilt-ridden. I can't even look Fauna in the face. Vivian felt a wall break down, and it spilled out before he could stop himself. I wish it had been me. Alice stared at him. You... I'd give anything to trade places with him. I'd kill myself right now if it would make a difference. Alice slapped his face hard as he finished the sentence. Her eyes were filled with fresh tears as she slammed the door behind her. The slap knocked Vivian to his senses. He never should have said that out loud. Certainly not to her, of all people. If she had said the same to him. Vivin's gut wrenched. He chased after her. Allie! Allie, wait! He raced down the hall to catch up with her. She wouldn't stop, so Vivin lifted her up from behind. Let me go! She struggled against him, trying to break free. I'm sorry, Vivin said so sincerely that Alice paused. I'm sorry, Allie. I'm sorry I've been hurting you and pushing you away. His arms relaxed and Alice dropped to the ground and faced him. Vivin was holding back tears. I don't know how to deal with this. I was supposed to protect him, and I let him. Vivin turned away, fighting a breakdown. Alice got in front of him and hugged him. The older tamer was uncomfortable with how vulnerable he was being, even with Alice. I get it, she whispered. You've only ever loved a few people, and you've lost most of them. But I'm still here. We're going to get through this, Vivi. One day, it's going to hurt less. Vivin held her tightly. He was too upset to speak, but he could only imagine what Fauna was going through if he was dealing with Seb's death this poorly. 
but the recent widow had held strong, and that was possibly the most distressing part of all. The head guard found Fauna early the following morning. He had the dossier with him. I hope I'm not interrupting. He started politely. No, no, we were just thinking of taking a stroll. Fauna replied nonchalantly. Theo had become her shadow since the return. His face was etched with constant concern for his younger sister, though Fauna didn't seem to take note. Here. Vivin passed her the leather-bound folder. She read the title and became visibly subdued. I can have the funeral arrangement set by this evening. What? Fauna blinked in shock. Theo watched her carefully. It's been several days. We need to hold it soon. Vivin explained patiently. Fauna hesitated. We should wait a few more days, don't you think? I'm sure there are many people who would like to attend. Vivin felt awkward. It's in Seb's will. He wanted it to be as private as possible. And... He trailed off. And? Fauna pressed. Theo responded for Vivin, who was clearly uncomfortable. And his body won't keep forever, Fawn, or Noctes. Fauna lost a bit of her color, though she was already quite pale. She replied with a quick, Okay. And left the two men standing there. I, um... I'm going to keep an eye on her. Theo mumbled and followed after her. Word traveled quickly around Magnotectus and to the Cayenne groups remaining in Imperior. Vivin spent the day organizing everything to have the funeral ready for twilight. Kyrick was speaking with him in front of the palace when Odax and Tanner approached them. The funeral pyre had been built. It was rather large. The older men gazed at the teens inquisitively, and Odax spoke up. Is there anything we can do to help? Vivin appreciated the offer. He had an inkling that the young men didn't know what to do with themselves. No. You two don't need to worry about anything today. It's nearly all sorted. Thank you, though. Odax looked over his shoulder at the pyre and stuck his hands in his pockets. Okay. As they turned to go, Vivin stopped them. Wait, have you seen your sister? Tanner and Odax exchanged an uncertain look, and Tanner responded. She's holed up in a room again, we think. Could you... could you make sure she knows about tonight? Vivin felt it best that her brothers spoke to her. The boys nodded and left. How are you holding up, Vivin? I'm fine, he said shortly. You haven't assigned yourself to guard duty, have you? Kirik wondered. Vivin shot him a glare of annoyance. Of course I have. Who else is going to do it? Don't lash out, Kirk chastised gently. Why don't you let us do it? Vivin gripped and regripped the hilt of his sword. He knew the Oren would be capable of the task. No, no offense. I need, I need something to do. Why? To distract yourself from grieving? There's no better time to do it. Kirk knew exactly how to push Vivin's buttons. I'm a professional, and this is my job. 
Kirik studied Vivin's face for a moment before replying coolly. Sure, tell yourself whatever you need to hear. Vivin wasn't in the mood to bicker with Kirik and made it clear by shaking his head in irritation. Kirik huffed and said more nicely, We all know how much Seb meant to you. You should give yourself the time now. Vivin growled, Kirik, just leave it, and strode away. Even as a private event, there must have been a hundred people dressed in black. Four palace guards were posted at the pyre itself. They weren't allowed to violate their dress code, lest they look too similar to the Nin. So the palace guards wore black armbands or sashes over their white attire. The fact that there were only enough chairs for the royal families was an indicator of the funeral's timeline. It wouldn't drag on. Fauna refused to sit, and out of respect, no one else did either. Her partial black veil would conceal her expressions well, when she happened to have them. She was looking anywhere other than the funeral pyre. Odax stood next to Tanner and Zayred. Lumen hadn't been in her room. He went as far as ducking in through her bedroom window, it opened onto a balcony, to find the room vacant. Ale, Kror, and several other dragons had been sent out in hopes of finding the regent princess in time. It wasn't right to start without her, so they waited as long as they could. As the sun disappeared behind Magnotectus, Odax could see faint puffs of white escape past people's lips. It was going to be a long, cold winter. Sable landed in front of the chairs, and Lumen leapt off. Her golden hair was windswept, and her quiver was slung across her back. A pair of dead rabbits hung from Sable's saddle. There was almost a simultaneous sigh from her family. Whether it was one of relief or exasperation was difficult to tell. While Theodore and Sadie were able to leave their children at home with the sitter, Sadie still let out a small exclamation when she saw the rabbits. One still had an arrow sticking out of its eye. Oh, sorry. I was in a hurry, Lumen mumbled sheepishly. She yanked the arrow from the furry creature's eye socket, flicked the blood from it, and swiftly wiped it on her pants before returning it to her quiver. She draped the quiver over the saddle horn and gave Sable a pat to send her off. However, Kaylee was next to her and they were conversing. Odax met his sister without a word and unfastened his heavy, black cloak. As he wrapped it around her shoulders, she grumbled, I'm not cold. Odax bowed his head to her ear as he clasped the latch. We need to be respectful to Dad. And Mom. His sweater was black as well, unlike Lumen's hunting clothes under her brother's cloak. Lumen glanced past Odax at Fauna, who was staring at the ground. That image alone was enough to impress on her the gravity of the moment. Dozens of tamers and other guests were gathered to the southern side of the pyre. Lumen was clever enough to know why. They were standing upwind. Odax took his sister's hand and led her over to Tanner and Zayraid. Alice, Art, and Vivin did one final visual sweep of the area. Ryan was positioned at the pyre at his request. Vivin caught Kaylee's eye. The dragon was communicating with Sable via Vox Draco. She inclined her sculpted head to her tamer. Vivin appeared next to Fauna and murmured, May the ceremony start. 
Fauna hesitated. Theo was on her other side, watching his sister diligently. Fauna nodded, but before Vivian could proceed, she grabbed his hand. Her voice wavered. Could you? He needs this. Vivian felt her press something into the palm of his hand. He glanced at it and clenched his jaw. He walked over to the massive pyre, hearing nothing but the sound of his cloak flapping in the breeze. Ryan regarded the headguard curiously. It wasn't part of the funeral service. Vivin stepped onto the platform, careful not to step on the autumn floral arrangements, or Nocte's tail. The black opal dragon was laid wrapped around the pyre, as per Sebastian's instructions. The elves did a wonderful job of reconstructing the giant dragon. It was near impossible to tell that Nocte had been taken apart. Vivin removed his black leather gloves and tucked them into his cloak pocket. Then, he carefully moved Seb's sleeve and latched Fauna's bracelet around his wrist. If Fauna hadn't had the bracelet let out years ago, it never would have fit around the swollen flesh of her deceased husband. Vivin forced his hands to stop shaking, just long enough to clip the latch. He gently straightened Seb's sleeve, a tender gesture that affected anyone who watched. The headguard stepped down from the pyre and nodded to Ryan. Sebastian's best friend signaled the other guards, and they cleared away from the wooden structure. Vivin and Ryan returned to the royal families as Sable timidly approached the pyre. The dragon groaned low when she saw one of her mother's paws next to Nocte's head. The other paw was burned with Ren, to be buried in Ramofsi in their ash form. Sable crouched to the ground before the deceased bodies. The dragons from the original Orin, including Fury, Destantos, and the others, positioned themselves around the pyre. Before Sable could lift her head, dozens of dragons appeared in the soft glow of the sunset sky. They circled above, allowing the dragons dearest to Seb to fly lowest, those of the royal families and his tamer friends. Sable suddenly stood and arched her neck, releasing a short blast of flames. After her flamethrower, the Oran dragons ignited the pyre as well. Nocte and Sebastian were engulfed in white-hot flames in an instant. Fauna gripped her brother's hand so tightly that he thought it might break. She was standing perfectly still, watching the pyre burn. Lumen lost her composure. Tears streamed down her pretty face. Tanner put an arm around her shoulder, and before he could say anything, she bear-hugged him. She buried her face in his chest and wept. Tanner had never been more distraught in his life. He pressed her close, shielding her from anyone who dared witness her grief. Odax reacted very much like his mother. Silent. No tears. He stood with his hands in his pockets. Until Chirp appeared. The little pygmy dragon flew down to the pyre in a state of panic. Chirp cried out, roaring and racing along the length of the pyre. He kept trying to get closer to the flames, to Seb. His agonized cries wrenched everyone's hearts. Lumen cried even harder. Kaylee attempted to corral the little dragon away, but Chirp responded by backing closer to the flames in alarm. Odax found himself moving automatically. The flames of the pyre were raging. He didn't have to walk more than a few feet from his family before he could feel the heat. He stopped once the heat was too intense. Chirp was still a meter away. 
Come here, Chirp, Odax asked. The ruby-red dragon cried at the pyre in distress. Odax crouched down and beckoned him over, calling him again. Chirp, come on! Odax was starting to sweat from the intensity of the flames. Chirp wasn't focusing on him. Odax bit his lip. His heart pounded against his chest with anxiety. He didn't want to do it ever again. But he did. He whistled a few notes softly. He didn't have time to wonder if Chirp would hear over the creaking of the fire. The pygmy dragon turned to him immediately. Odax called for Chirp, him come on. and lost the dragon's attention. Odax whistled again, the notes to Chirp's favorite tune. The pygmy dragon calmed down miraculously and bounded over to the young tamer. Come on, Chirp, please, Odax asked gently. Chirp obliged scampering up to Odax's shoulder. As the young man turned away from the fire, he stuck one hand in his pocket. His fine brown hair was incredibly warm from the heat of the flames. Consequently, he ruffled it. He looked so similar to his father in that moment that Fauna finally broke down. She slowly sat on the chair behind her. Sadie may have been in tears, but Theo crouched down next to his sister regardless. The widow still wasn't crying. No one thought much of her sitting down until Theo quietly exclaimed in alarm. What do you mean you can't breathe? Vivin and Alice were at her side in an instant. Ryan, seeing only their movement, set aside his wife and called the other guards into action. A defensive line was formed around the front of the royal families, and the guards offset their shields, blocking the views of prying eyes. Odax raced over, and the guards broke their line briefly to allow him through. It was as if the widow forgot the basic functions of inhaling and exhaling. Vivin and Theo knelt in front of the queen. They spent nearly thirty seconds of coaxing Fauna to breathe. When that point was reached, Alice delivered a sharp blow to Fauna's back, causing her to <laughs> cough. Her body snapped back into gear, and she struggled to catch her breath for a moment. Then... She collapsed into her brother's arms and wept. Odax felt ill, witnessing his mother grieve with such raw emotion. He wandered away, and Zerid stopped him, putting a hand on his shoulder. You going to be sick, mate? Odax shook his head. Chirp was still on his other shoulder, and the dragon fixed his amber eyes on the young tamer's face. Odax didn't know what to do. Break down himself, or try to comfort his mother? When Tanner saw Lumen's expression of distress at seeing their mother collapse, he drew her attention away by speaking to her softly. She was still holding on to him, and he smoothed away strands of hair from her face as he told her to look up at the dozens of dragons. The elves didn't grieve at all like humans. Death was often met as a celebration in their culture, unless it was the loss of a child. Such acute emotions were rarely displayed. They didn't lack empathy, however. Lord Oril and Grimmin were heartsick, seeing the ones they cared about in such distress. Nivali was crying into her father's chest as Lumen was with Tanner. Kyle comforted her by gently rubbing one of her pointed ears between his thumb and forefinger. He hadn't done it since she was a little girl, when she would race into her parents' bedroom after a nightmare. Fauna sobbed 
while she sat on her brother's lap. Theo didn't try to move them from the ground. He didn't try to calm her down. Instead, he held her close and whispered, You're going to feel better after this, Fawn. I promise. Vivin and Alice set out to the crowd and assured them that everything was all right. The royal family was in a deep state of grief and would appreciate being left alone to mourn the regent's death as soon as possible. As the humans left, the dragons replaced them. The majestic creatures crouched by the burning pyre, watching it with unwavering intensity. Their beloved great tamer was dead. They deserved to be present for his funeral. When Alice and Vivin disappeared behind the palace guards once again, the situation there had barely changed. Everyone was in tears or miserable. Fauna and Theo were still on the ground. Ryan told the head guards that he was going to escort Sadie home before retiring with Laura. Lillian was with Zayraid, trying to console Odax. The young man sat on the ground with a heavy sigh, and his girlfriend looked to Zayraid helplessly. We should try to get her inside, Vivin said quietly to Alice and Art, referring to Fauna. I doubt she'll stop soon, so she might as well be somewhere comfortable. The other two guards nodded in agreement. None of them, however, moved a muscle initially. Alice swallowed hard and went over. She crouched down next to the siblings and spoke with Theo. He gave her a nod, and Vivin ordered the palace guards to form an escort. The majority of the humans had left the funeral. Some of the tamers, including the Orin, stayed behind. Vivin helped Fauna to her feet, and she resumed clinging to her brother as soon as she stood. Theo gently persuaded her to walk toward the palace. The Orin cleared away the chairs. Odax remained seated on the ground, so Zayred and Lillian sat on either side of him. Lord Orel touched Navali's shoulder and coaxed her to follow him. She wiped tears from her puffy, red eyes and took his arm. Lumen sat down with Tanner. None of the Alor children were going to leave the pyre until it was nearly burned down. It had been reduced to the size of a large bonfire. The aid from the dragons in the beginning helped incinerate the bodies more quickly. Alice and Vivin left Theo to comfort Fauna in her chambers and returned to the palace entrance. The night sky was clear, black, and studded with stars. Lord Orel was teaching Navali a different type of spell. The Elvish King clasped his hands together and whispered a verse into them. Then, he slowly opened his hands, and hundreds of small, radiant orbs floated over his palms. With a gentle blow of his breath, the orbs scattered and lifted into the air, entwining with the fire's smoke. Navali tried herself, but only managed to produce half of what her grandfather had. The glowing, white orbs faded away once they floated too high. It was a simple, beautiful gesture to honor the Great Tamer. The dragons watched the orbs with interest as they crouched around the pyre. Sable crept up behind her Tamer and dug her head under Lumen's elbow. Dragons rarely grieved in public, but the black-feathered dragon had lost both of her parents. And, unlike most dragons, she had known them and grown aside them. Lumen stroked the short facial feathers of her dragon. Sable huffed, smoke curling from her nostrils. Lumen lifted a few of the feathers to see their unusual metallic pink underside. I wish I could have killed him, Lou, 
Sable said using Vox Draco. She was referring to Lane Nuage. But there's a part of me that knows he did the right thing. My father never would have been the same without Seb alive. Lumen tugged at one of her dragon's talons absentmindedly. My dad wouldn't have been either. So, I guess you could say it was for the best. Lumen choked up at the thought. She couldn't imagine her father without his dragon. In her mind, they were the same person. Lumen heard her brother call her name. Lou. As Odax looked over her shoulder at her, Lumen could understand why their mother collapsed seeing him. His friendly, open demeanor was replaced by one somber and wistful. Sebastian would inadvertently wear the same expression when he was lost in thought, which was more often than not. Thanks for listening to Chapter 76 of A Dragon Tamer's Fable, and thank you for supporting the podcast so far. With one chapter left of the story, we've had quite the journey. Thank you for being here. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please share, subscribe, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews help more people find the podcast, so it's a huge help. And if you're able to give a DTF an extra hand, please check out the merch and support tabs on the website. To stay up to date on content, check out a DTF podcast on Instagram or Facebook. As always, feel free to email dragontamerpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, so don't be shy. Until next time, keep slaying anything but dragons. <laughs>